From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. Between Neha Singh Rathore's Kaaba and Ravi Kishan's Saba, the campaign in Uttar Pradesh, electorally perhaps the most consequential state in India, is reaching a fever pitch. With two rounds down in Western UP, where the Jats and the Muslims are expected to mount their toughest challenge to the BJP, and the rest of the state voting in the remaining five phases, a good place for us to start is, what's it looking like so far? I did travel to some of the seats that polled in the first phase on the day of voting. And I didn't see too much enthusiasm in the urban areas, but in the, in the rural areas, a lot of people were coming out to vote. And it, my own impression was that the BJP's base has got eroded. I mean, I wouldn't say drastically eroded, but eroded to, a, to quite an extent. Uh, the JAT votes are clearly split. There is another large section uh, consisting primarily of young uh, people who voted the Gatbandhan because uh, they felt eh, that Jain Chaudhary should be given a chance because he's young, he seems earnest, and uh, also Akhilesh, the combination you know that uh, seems to have clicked with uh, some young people. Uh, the other thing is that um, uh, Muslims, I mean, Muslims are determined not to allow their votes to split. And this was very noticeable in the second phase in all the Muslim-dominated uh, constituencies in Muradabad, Sambhal and uh, Rampur, uh, where they said that, uh, look, uh, every party has fielded Muslim candidates, including OACs. And in fact, in uh, one of the places, I've, villages outside Muradabad that I visited, Ovesi was addressing a meeting and uh, lots of people flocked to hear him. But they said that when it comes to voting, mm. we will not allow our votes to split because this That's journalist and political commentator Radhika Ramaseshan. Like her, Nilanjan Sarkar, senior visiting fellow at Center for Policy Research, and political analyst is of the view that despite the chatter on social media, the animosity between the Hindus and the Muslims is far less discernible on the ground than it was in the last assembly elections in 2017. So in 2017, we were still in the aftermath of the Muzaffar Nagar riots. Um, and the first phase includes... Um, areas around Muzaffarnagar, and even the second phase includes some of these areas, right? So yes. the pol- Hindu-Muslim polarizing impact of that event had carried on to 2017, so much so that even in Muzaffarnagar district, 
the BJP won eight out of nine of the assembly constituencies, despite the fact that the district has more than 40% Muslim population. Gives you a sense of the kind of polarization that was in play. Hmm. This time, that kind of Hindu-Muslim polarization is less observable. Um, And it is clear that at least when you go to uh, members of the Jat community, who, um, uh, you know, were, uh, you know, it was the Jats and the Muslims that that, that had come to loggerheads uh, in, in the Muzaffarnagar riots. When you come to the Jat community, you can see that that kind of polarization no longer exists. That because of the farmer protests and so on and so forth, Jats and Muslims are actually working together as a part of the Samajwadi Party uh, RLD alliance. Um, and that's that's pretty clear. The larger question for the BJP and the parties in the region is the extent to which there is still going to be counter-polarization, Hindu consolidation of votes among those communities sort of not directly reached out to by any of these parties. Now, as you move east, um, you notice that even in, in 2017, the polarizing impacts of the Muzaffarnagar riots had started to uh, dim. Yes. Because it was really something that the effects were really in the vicinity of, of, of the riots. What you see in the second phase areas is that uh, the BJP had done a very good job of engineering tactical alliances, right, under Modi's banner, right? So in some sense, the nationalization of politics and the nationalization of the UP election in 2017 had generated, has been very aggressive, Um almost cutthroat about consolidating power within the party, right, in in the BJP. Now, what that means is that uh, there is a sense in which local power structures that were connected to the BJP and even among castes that had been consolidated behind the BJP are being cut off. Um, so, So, you know, a couple of examples. We went to one constituency uh, Mirapur, right, where the Gujras are locally dominant, they mm-hmm. brought in a Gujra candidate, but from the outside. So the locally powerful Gujra candidate has moved over to the Samadhi party. Mm. So that's created a split that, you know, and in the previous election, almost all the Gujras one would have met on the ground were voting for the BJP. So those kinds of complications very much exist. Now, is it enough to dislodge the BJP? That's a difficult question. But uh, it is clear that Yogi Adityanath's centralizing tendencies within the party have created frictions on the ground. Just staying with the the relationship of the Jats and the Muslims, I mean, traditionally they've had a fractious relationship, but now this realignment that you're speaking about, that you're sensing, how much of it has it to do with the farm laws? Or is there sort of more practical, pragmatic issues of business, etc. at stake here? So I think, uh, you know, obviously the precipitating event is the farm laws and the farmer protests. Um, but the way that I think about what the farmer protest did, which does not have um, a large overall impact in UP, it does have a large impact on this relationship, um, is that it affected the Jat community in a couple of key ways. So the first is that it made clear to the Jat community and other ascendant agrarian communities that uh, perhaps this version of the BJP Mm. um, is not the best party to bet on in terms of 
representation, certainly of economic interests, but even for, you know, sort of caste-wise interests, right? If we think of the kind of um, language and narrative that was built uh, during the farmer protest. The second thing, which I think people have played down, but it's something very obvious when you travel across Western UP, is that the farmer protest created a certain kind of political mobilization within the community, right? And so there are certain leaders who emerge. There's a level of political knowledge. So when you mm. go to Jat areas, people will say things about CAA or NRC. Like it, it is quite, quite, quite amazing. And what that suggests is that there's a larger political organization that was built in this time. And there's larger political coordination that happens as a function of that organization. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to shift large portions of your community, I don't think, you know, it's not as if 100% of jobs will uh, switch to the SP, but a significant portion will, uh, almost certainly. The ability to coordinate that shift comes from being able to build a more airtight organizational structure, something that had kind of fallen apart by... 2014, 2017, which the BJP took advantage of. So I think that's the real uh, impact of the farmers' protests on, on, on the jats. So the good news, in a sense, is that there's been sort of strengthening of some grassroots uh, uh, democracy in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it is still a numerically dominant, it is a physically and numerically dominant caste in the region, um, so it always had the capacity to organize if things got back to a certain kind of politics. Mm. Um, it has, right? I mean, I think politics is very different if you are a smaller caste, right? Or what I call, you know, the politics of the uncounted caste, mm. right? So there are certain castes that have always been reached out to by the main parties, right? Uh, or that have been catered to by a specific party, Jatas, Jats, uh, Muslims in some sense, Yadavs, right? Uh, but there are, of course, many other smaller caste groups everywhere in in, in UP mm. who don't really have any hope of having a large number of representatives representing their community. And much of this election hinges on the extent to which those uncounted castes, which had uh, gone wholesale for the BJP in 2017, yes. continue to do so. And that's why that local anti-incumbency is a very, very important question. The farmer's anger, says Radhika Ramaseshan, spills beyond the farm laws. Uttar Pradesh is the country's largest producer of sugarcane and the minimum support price for that has been a big bone of contention between the farmers and the Yogi Adityanath government. In the third phase, that's Yadav and OBC territory, she says the issues of price rise and unemployment are the dominant issues on voters' minds. The OBCs, well, a majority still seem to be with the BJP because the government's welfare measures and Hindutva, the kind of cocktail that the BJP had uh, put blended, uh, that was going down quite well. Now, uh, the third phase is what is known as Mulayam country, Ita, Eta, Itawa, Menpuri, uh, Firozabad, and so on. Uh, now, now, that's heavily Yadav dominated. Muslim population is not very high. And you have a lot of OBCs. Uh, so it's all about uh, juggling caste, caste equations. Now, what happened in the last two, past two or three elections is that a section of the Yadavs also voted uh, for the BJP. 
you know, they got either ca- they got carried away by Modi's charisma, by uh, Hindutva, mm. and uh, generally the promise of a better government, quote unquote, uh, through uh, Modi. So their votes went away from the Samajwadi Party with the result that the BJP did very well in the third phase. Now, uh, Akhilesh contesting from this area itself is significant. I think that was the idea because Mm. initially it was believed that he might uh, fight from Azamgarh, his uh, Lok Sabha constituency, but he switched over to Karwal near uh, Itawa. And that seems to be the idea to send a signal to the Yadavs not to split their votes and to regroup behind the Samajwadi party again. So uh, that's as far as uh, phase uh, three is concerned. Now, the the dominating issue for the BJP seems to be Yogi's law and order management, quote unquote, again. I mean, if you talk to any Hindu, even a Hindu who's voting against uh, the BJP will say, nee, but Kanun Vyavastha to bohat achha raha ye paanch saal mein, hamari bahu betiyaan bahar ja sakti thi. This is a kind of refrain that you hear throughout in the, uh, uh, throughout the country, UP countryside. Uh, but uh, that is offset by issues like price rise, then the price of gas cylinder, you know, that's gone up to uh, uh, the uh, refill cylinder is now costs 1,000 rupees. Yes. So they are actively questioning the viability of the Ujwala scheme, which was a winner in the last two elections. The Yogi government or the center has come in for praise for building uh, toilets, which they say were, were non-existent earlier. We were given money to build toilets, so we built toilets. We were given money to build houses. And the welfare package that the government, uh, both the centre and the state government have given, that also has come in for some praise. But again, that's offset by uh, um, uh, unemployment and generally the economic distress that was caused by the pandemic and its aftermath. Could it be that they are saying that these larger issues of price hike, um, larger issues of unemployment have nothing to do with the state government, but are larger national problems. And therefore, uh, Yogi Adityanath manages to evade some of the, uh, some of the blame for this. I did ask people, who do you blame for... Uh, uh, the ec- economic uh, distress. They said, you know, the state government had to do its bit. It hasn't da- quite done its bit. Uh, there were people who said that it's no good talking about uh, temple and mosque all the time. I mean, they, there are bread and butter issues, livelihood issues, which need to be addressed by the state government. There is still some enthusiasm for Modi, though not, not as much as in 2019 and uh, 2017. But nobody is blaming him for the state of affairs. If at all there is uh, blame to be laid at someone's door, it would be uh, Yogi, you know, for uh, not doing enough to alleviate economic distress. And of course, farmers, I mean, I can, uh, should mention, I should stress, farmers, are, especially Jat farmers, were very troubled by the agitation, by the center's laws, by the state government's failure to pay, the, uh, give them a hike in the price of sugarcane. And, uh, you know, because uh, sugarcane prices in UP are governed by the state advisory price, and that was increased by a paltry rupees 15 through Yogi's uh, tenure. 
So he is being squarely blamed for not paying enough attention to farmers. The privatization of, of PSUs, the disinvestment, is that something which uh, is causing concern only because there is very little private enterprise in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, so government jobs, as we saw in neighboring Bihar, are still the most sought after. Is that something that's causing concern? Yeah, to some extent. It was mentioned by the Dalits that one met in the course of one's travels, the Jatavs, as well as other um, Dalits who are employed in the public sector. Because one point that they made is that if there is privatization, we will be the first to lose our jobs. Those in the reserved categories are going to be thrown out because they would want a leaner, meaner kind of outfit. So that is a big fear among the Dalits. The other issue, Meenal, that I must mention is Akhilesh's promise to restore the old uh, pension scheme for government employees. Mm-hmm. Under the new scheme, um, uh, the pension, their savings are linked to uh, market fluctuations. So Akhilesh's promise has uh, kind of created uh, a certain momentum for the Gadbandhan. I mean, the same lot of government employees were very committed, wedded to the BJP in the past. Uh, in the name of Hindutva or governance or whatever. So they are having second thoughts about voting the B, uh, BJP on account of this promise, which is held out by Akhilesia. Allah mere dil ka haal janta hai main aap se sawal hai ghar ja kar socho raat ke andhere mein uth kar socho buzurgon ke paas unke pairon ke paas baith kar poocho ki aaj hamari vidhan sabha mein ek deewana aaya tha wo deewana humse sawal kar gaya ki tumhara neta kaun hai batao Muslims comprise a little over 19% of the population in the state but increasingly find little electoral representation and as Asaduddin Ovesi says, little also by way of leadership. Mr. Ovesi, of course, always punches above his weight, but uh, he actually said something very interesting in one of the rallies recently where he said, Ki tumara leader kaun hai? addressing a rally of Muslims. Fact is that at least formally, the community has been abandoned by everybody. Nobody is taking up Muslim issues. Oh, yeah. Of course, Muslims privately expressed um, unhappiness at Akhilesh's reluctance to uh, raise community-specific issues. And I'm mentioning Akhilesh because he's still seen as the only hope that they have. I mean, Sabajwadi was built on the MY platform. Absolutely. And if you notice uh, where his father, Mulayam Singh Yadav, was upfront about Muslim issues, even after the demolition of the Babri Mosque, when you had an ambience akin to what you have now under Yogi Adityanath, uh, Muslims were scared to speak. Uh, it seemed that Hindus would vote one way. Mulayam Singh did make it a point to visit uh, uh, community leaders, uh, take them into confidence, address meetings, which none of which Akhilesh did. If anything, Akhilesh tiptoed around uh, Muslim issues. 
For instance, when a senior member of his own party, Azam Khan, was booked under in, uh, 80 charges, ranging from land grab to goat theft or whatever, and he was in jail along with his, his wife was in jail for some time, and his son under different charges, uh, there was, un- uh, there was uh, a lot of unhappiness at the fact that Akhilesh didn't really take up for Azam Khan uh, when he should have. Later, of course, he came out as elections approached. He came out, met the family, spoke up for Azam Khan. But there was a feeling that it was too little, a case of too little, too late. I would really agree that OVC has raised a relevant uh, point and if uh, Ovesi mattered a little bit, then maybe Muslims might have even voted him because this is the, this is the kind of language they want to hear from leaders. And Akhilesh has let them down on that score. The one change, perhaps not noticed enough, has been the campaigning style following the ban by the EC until recently on big public rallies, which has given some ballast to the opposition, says Nilanjan Sarkar. I, I mean, certainly, it's very quiet everywhere, actually. Um, you know, I, I think that that is the, the, the larger impact of this kind of campaigning, uh, this kind of ban on, on rallies. Also, I do think that the pandemic period that we've just uh, been through has also changed the way in which regular interactions are taking place, right? Mm-hmm. And so those two things combined have made this election feel a lot more local, right? Because there are not these huge rallies. Uh, every party has adjusted. The BJP, of course, is again by far the wealthiest party on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and that impacts, you know, the way in which it is able to campaign. But that being said, all in all, based on the kinds of things that I said, this kind of localization of an election is does give a little more wind in the sails to the opposition as compared to the BJP. The BJP's big two big constructs, Hindutva and of course, this last mile delivery of welfare schemes, both of them were sort of road tested first in Uttar Pradesh. How are you seeing... Uh, the issues of welfareism playing out? So, you know, it has continued to be um, a major plank for the BJP and something that has won it votes. Um, I think today, and we saw it in the most recent budget, we're seeing a bit of a course correction by the BJP. Um, A lot of the state leaders in the opposition as well have developed similar models of delivery now. B is that certainly Modi and rations and so on and so forth, uh, you know, that is something that is going for the BJP and, and, and the delivery of certain kinds of schemes. That being said, I think because of the local nature of politics, because of the role that Yogi Adityanath is playing, the more dominant role he's playing this time in the election, hmm. The first thing you do here is, uh, you know, uh, from BJP supporter is, um, you know, law and order shant, which is in some sense a code language for keeping Muslims down. Often people will say it, right? I mean, they'll they'll start with that, which is a euphemistic language. And within 30 seconds, it's it's clear what the language means. 
sense, right? Mm. Um, so I think that is as much um, a part of the appeal of the BJP as welfare is today on the ground. But the thing is, the kind of initiating event as you have with riots, as you have with also the kind of anger that comes because the Samajwadi Party had already had been in power, right? The, the, the BJP was the challenger in 2017. Yes. That kind of aggressive uh, polarization doesn't seem to be present on the ground. Akhilesh Yadav, has, his campaign has been interesting in that for the longest time, even though there was so many, uh, so much turmoil in UP, post-CNRC, uh, he hasn't really been, you haven't seen him very visibly on the ground uh, until very, very recently. But uh, almost like a classical tune, you know, the jhala at the end, he seemed to have just like really taken off. Um is there much goodwill this time for Akhilesh? And has he kind of, do you see a sort of an evolution of Akhilesh Yadav, the leader? Uh, so there's a lot of goodwill for Akhilesh and there was even in 2017. Um, I think even the data, you know, even something like CSDS data bears out that um, he's a reasonably popular leader. Um, Akhilesh Yadav's baggage has always been the party that he represents Mm. Anger against Yadav domination, anti-Muslim attitudes, right? So the fact that the Samajwadi Party disproportionately represents the Muslim community, right? Uh, these have been the kind of jibes against Akhilesh, right? Um, you know, people will refer to Gunda Raj, this, mm. that, but it's it's basically coded language that is that is intended to denigrate, you know, a, a set of communities that have formed Samajwadi Party's vote base in the past. Mm. So the challenge that Akhilesh has had is not his personal popularity, but the fact that he is still viewed in many pockets as representing the Yadav and Muslim communities, right? Now, the Yadavs are smaller in number in the phases that have gone to the election so far, right? Um, so we're going, to have, we're going to understand a bit more about the extent to which the BJP has been successful in counter-mobilizing against the Yadav community as uh, we see the future phases. Hmm. Um, but that being said, um, Akhilesh on a personal level remains popular. And I think they've made some very, very intelligent choices in terms of alliances. how to camp. Yeah, alliances and how to campaign this time, right? This doesn't feel like a Yadav run campaign, hmm. right? In the way that we sort of would think of SP, Samajwadi Party campaigns of the past. And I think in many ways, uh, the jibes of uh, the BJP, the politics of, as I said, uncounted caste, um, have changed the way that Akhilesh is uh, doing politics. Um, that even if he does represent certain kinds of communities, that's not the kind of language that is being used. And when we talk about you know, things like pensions or discussions of economic anxieties, just like we saw in West Bengal, uh, that has a way of cutting across identity-based politics. Mm. Um, the extent to which that uh, is something that sticks in the minds of voters, obviously we don't, we, we don't know, but it does actually change the actual narrative pitch quite significantly for a party like the Samadhi Party. And I think that's something Akhilesh has been very smart at and very good at. Uh, Yogi Adityanath is a deeply, of course, deeply polarizing figure, not just 
from the point of view of society, but even, as you said, within the BJP, uh, if he were to win a second term, or if the BJP were to lose UP, either way, how do you see it impacting sort of national politics in 2024? So I think a lot is riding on uh, on this for Yogi Adityanath, right? I mean, if he is to build his national profile, he's going to have to deliver UP for the BJP, right? Um, because he is attempting a kind of consolidation, which is Modi-like, quite frankly, mm. right, in Gujarat, mm. where, um, you know, if you are able to become a dominant presence over one, two, three cycles of elections, you end up breaking those local power structures that I, that, that I, that I was talking about, right? You become the embodiment of the party and the politics of the party in the state. Mm. And you demonstrate the ability to move beyond uh, a certain kind of caste-based politics, which actually hinders the BJP's ability to build large coalitions, right? And that's something that Modi did in Gujarat, and that I think is something that Yogi Adityanath is trying to do here. Mm. Now, if he loses UP, um, and there's this kind of identity-based fragmentation that eats away at the BJP's base, it will demonstrate that, you know, he's essentially not Modi, right? That he's not able to do this. Um, he's invested a lot in himself. He's invested a lot in consolidation within the party. So a lot is riding uh, on uh, this election for him and his kind of politics. Uh, so it is, to me, um, make or break, not for his political career, he'll remain reasonably popular, so on and so forth, but... Mm. Um, to demonstrate that he can continue to win in this manner and develop an identity that is separate from that of Modi in doing so, right? Um, the standard sort of comment with the BJP is that many of the chief ministers have been lampposts. Mm. That clearly does not apply to Yogi Adityanath, right? Yeah, and he's very much his he, own man. Mm. He's very much his own man. And is he the prototype of the kind of strong CM face that can emerge within the BJP? So there's, of course, the question of whether, for, you know, what this means for Yogi Adityanath. It also, there's a question of what this means for the kinds of regional leaders we're likely to see develop within the BJP. Today's episode is produced by Jairad Singh, Arun George, and Sunay Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TOI Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at toipodcasts at timesinternet.in.